Haymaker Coffee Company was established in 2021 to create the best coffee to fuel the underdogs who perseveres, who hustles, and have the give-it-all mentality to achieve their American dream. Haymaker Coffee only roasts top-quality, specialty-grade coffee beans resulting in brews that satisfies those who demand every drop from their coffee and day. If you work hard, run hard, fight hard, and play hard, we have your coffee right here. And we're back, Stripe Show podcast on a Thursday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for uh, making us part of your day. A special one here today, one that I've been looking forward to here for a while. Uh, One of the top coaches in the game joins me from England, Pete Cowan. How are you? How are you doing, Pete? I'm good, thanks, Travis. No problems at all. Weather's pretty good here, so we're all right. Yeah, so it's a it's a summer day in England, right? I know you're just yeah, uh, 20, outside of Manchester. Degrees. Twenty six degrees Celsius. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, not not Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> so you're you're a busy man, Pete, and I appreciate you taking the time there. I know you're at your uh, academy there and working with uh, a lot of the top students. Um, gosh, I I knew you, I knew you worked with so many players right now in the professional game, both on EGA tour, DP world tour. Now, of course, this new series, the LVI series, um, but Henrik Stenson, Brooks Kepka, Lee Westwood, Danny Willett, Thomas Peters, Padraig Harrington, Darren Clark, Victor Perez, and more. How in the world do you find any time other than teaching golf, Pete? That is a list. I don't seven days a week, 24, wow. seven, 365. <laughs> <laughs> you never put it down. Uh, no, every day is golf, unfortunately. Like my wife says, you know, you've never been any different, so why are you going to change now? <laughs> is she a golfer? No, never hit a golf shot in her life. Really? No, never. I'm curious, like Henrik Stenson, someone you've been together for a long time. You and Henrik um, have worked together for, for many, many years. How many? Just 21 years. 21, 21 years, years with, with Henrik Stenson. You take a player like Hendrick, who you've got a lot invested in and, you know, kind of struggling a little bit with his game on the PGA tour, missed seven of 11 cuts, goes over to LIV and gets his win. Do you, have you learned to kind of like separate following along with these players when they're struggling and letting that affect your attitude? You know, when you go home and you see your wife, are you able to leave it at work per se when players say are struggling from time to time? Because that's just the nature of the game. No, you're not. Uh, you've got to, you know, almost be part of their problems, really, to actually solve the problems. And at the moment, uh, obviously, Henrik's uh, solved some of his problems by signing with Liv. So, you know, that in itself it gives you a bit of freedom. And he's always had the talent. There's no doubt about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at his record, it's just second to none. And he's achieved everything in the game. And now he's achieved Winning on the live on his first tournament on the live tour. What are your thoughts with live golf, Pete? Just as a top teacher, fan of the sport, twenty four seven, like you said, invested into it. You've seen it come about. It's a true competitor to the PGA Tour. Give me your thoughts on just live golf in general. Um, I don't think anybody misses out. To be fair, I think everybody gains from it. You've taken some of the top players and you put them in. The, the lift 48 and you've made space for other players at the other end with, you know, less players, less quality players on the U S tour. So the young players are going to benefit massively and they're going to come through quicker. 
there's going to be a lot more spaces on the European tour, a lot more spaces on the US tour. So I can't see any real negatives in it. I think eventually all the governing bodies are going to have to sit down and talk because we want, certainly in the majors, we want the best fields. There's no doubt about that. Otherwise, it's not a major. We want, obviously, everybody in the world rankings. Otherwise, you're going to get a false number one or a false number 10 or whatever. So we always have to, and I, I always relate it to, at the moment, we've now got three circuses. We've got the Live Circus, we've got the US Tour Circus, and we've got the DP World Tour Circus. Now, you know, they've all got their performers. So when they all come to town, who are you going to watch? You're going to watch the people that you want to watch, whether they are on the DP World Tour, whether they're on the US Tour, or whether they're on the Live Tour. So the, the, the spectators have got choices now. They decide which circus they're going to... And it is a circus. We travel all over the world, so it's a traveling <laughs> circus. You know, it's interesting with Henrik, like when you when you look at his struggles on the PGA Tour this year, his, his best finish was 18th at Valero. Uh, his ball striking really wasn't all that bad. It was more of his putter. I mean, he just couldn't get the putter going uh, on the PGA tour. I mentioned seven of 11 cuts. He goes over to live. He wins his first event. Was it just strictly all of a sudden the security of, of the financial situation going over there in signing that just kind of freed him up and he just went out and free willed it. Or did he actually discover something and maybe some things that you've been working on finally came to fruition? No, I mean, um, obviously that's a massive effect of the, Financial security is a massive effect for a lot of players. Once they've got that financial security behind them, then they play with a lot more freedom. When they lose mm -hmm. that financial security, then obviously there's not as much freedom. But Henrik, at the moment, uh, Mike Mike Walker, who works with me and he works with Matt Fitzpatrick, has been helping Henrik a bit because I've not been out so much. So maybe Mike Mike's found the answer to Henrik's problems. <laughs> and yeah. looking looking at the way he put it. I think Phil Kenyon's found the answer to his problems as well. <laughs> yeah. I've had Mike on the podcast before um, after the win uh, with Matthew Fitzpatrick, of course, in the U S open stents in a former open champion. So this yeah, well, is going to be fun. Luckily we've had, we've had now 12 uh, major champions from, mm -hmm. you know, the Academy, Mike, myself and our Academy staff, we've had 12 major champions in the last, since 2010. So We've probably won twenty five percent of the majors over the last ten years, wow. eleven years. Do you take time to celebrate, like when Henrik won or Fitzpatrick wins? That you take a step back, have a have a pint or two. Uh, I always have a pint, but okay. I pull my own pints at the my own range at my own bar, so I can <laughs> do that any time I want. See, and you know, with the caddies, we tend to celebrate more with the caddies as. I relate to the caddies much more than I relate to the players because they're more normal. <laughs> okay, so here's the deal. So I have my studio here. It's right outside of TPC Sawgrass. When you come here for the players, hopefully, you know, I'm looking at your list, so you'll have, a, you'll have one of the players in, uh, in the players, depending well, upon how things moment, Tom Peters is there and Matt okay. Patrick's there. So, you know, mm -hmm. and I think uh, Victor Perez could be there and, Scott okay. Sean Crocker after winning on I think he'll push on I'll think he'll push on in the next six months we'll show well I have you in my studio I have a bar here and I'll pour you a pint it may not be quite it might be not quite as good as your pint that you're going to get in England but I'll I'll pour you something yeah I got it's a I got a Glenn Fittich here that I can I can pour you and we can sip on and talk about the golf swing and, and that's what I want to do here next is talk about this swing right here, which is, you know, Henrik Stenson. And, you know, this is 
something that my audience likes, Pete, where when I get teachers on and we look at golf swings and we kind of look behind the curtain with the man that helps the player orchestrate the swing. And Pete, when I look at Henrik's swing, the first thing that jumps out to me, and, I, and I've always wanted to ask this to you, is his belt buckle or his pelvis moves laterally towards his right heel before he takes the club back. And sometimes it's more pronounced than others. Can you educate my audience on what's happening there? Yeah, it sits, it sits back uh, quite a little bit. But uh, what you've got to remember is there's three balance points in the swing, basically. There's more, but the basic three balance points. There is the upper vertebrae, which is the top of the neck. There's the tailbone, which is at the bottom of the spine. And then he's basically your feet. So you've got those three balance points. And obviously the tailbone is massive in the golf swing in that it, if you think about it logically, if you stood up vertically and just twisted what I call the spiral body, the tailbone as you twist goes left as you turn the, on the backswing. And then obviously as you're coming down, the tailbone goes back to center. And then the tailbone goes to the right, if you like, as he's mm-hmm. swinging through. So your tailbone's always in opposition to the movement you're creating, the mid-balance point. So if you, mm-hmm. the best way of describing it is if you stand up vertically and just coil your body as a vertical and see where your tailbone goes or the bottom of your spine, it always goes, as you're turning to the right, it goes left. As you're turning back to center, it goes to center. And as you're turning left, the tailbone goes. So looking at where the tailbone goes and Henrik's sitting in there, he's actually creating a balance point where he can work around his tailbone a lot better to create room for his arms to come under. And he doesn't thrust, he doesn't really thrust his tailbone forward mm-hmm. in the downswing, which means you're going to get trapped. Yeah. And, and I've, I've heard you talk about the spiral staircase a lot. And I think it's one of the best videos that I've watched um, that's out there. In the spiral, okay. The spiral is very, very simple. Everything in the world grows spiral, you know, Mm -hmm. even your ligaments and your muscle structure. The baby in the womb grows spiral, the tree grows spiral, the grass grows spiral. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a real natural thing to do. And if you stand and realize that the spiral is the most efficient way of creating power and to avoid injury, then I think more people would, you know, achieve it and there is such a, a program as called the spiral dynamics which mm. if you look at it on uh, on youtube i think you'll realize it's a, i think it's austrian guy or german guy and he was he's talking about the natural movement of the spiral and mm. how you actually would work that spiral and that's part of it and of course you've got a spiral from the ground upwards and everybody talks about ground force reaction but when you look at the spiral, it creates the proper ground force reaction. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that, if you simplify it to the extreme when we're doing it, if we simplified it, we would create a big spring in our hand. This is a too much of a simplification, Travis, but let's say we've got a big spring in our hand and I hold the bottom and twist the top, right? I'm creating coil all the way through that spring mm-hmm. and the center's not moving, yeah? Yep. And then just before you finish coiling the top, what you do is compress the top down. So you compress the coils, which then forces 
the ground force reaction of the lower part of the coils, which twists it the other way, and then they align and then they open up together. So you never get this problem where your tailbone's going forward and in the way of your arm swing coming through. And I think you made a good point there in that that little movement of of Henrik where that, let's say the tailbone, as you mentioned, that balance point kind of shifts a little bit over to the right and then he turns and he's kind of on top of it. Then then he it's easy for him to kind of sit and turn and kind of match things up versus let's say, Pete, if I took it back in my lower center, kind of spun away, almost was hanging left, then yeah. it would be it'd be harder for a player to get out of the way, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you in, in an ideal world, you're at the start of the downswing, you're, you would have compressional change in the head position, which mm. would actually force the tailbone to go backwards down the spine and out the way almost. That's what ground force reaction is really. You want to create that room. And if you look back at Tiger's swing in 2000, and there's <laughs> some great video of him, Everybody used to say, well, Tiger's losing height, but it was compressional height. He was compressing his spine back into his tailbone, so he was losing height, but he was creating more room for his arms to come under his chest. And it's very, very apparent if you go back to the year 2000 when I think he was at his best, Mm -hmm. Tiger. One of the things that you mentioned with Stenson that I've heard in the past is like he really smashes the ball. It's almost like he's there's this downward you know, smash through the strike. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's different noise when he hits the ball at his best. As Henry. Yeah. There's a few players that do that. Brooks do you is like, one as well. Do you like the term sustaining the down, like the club heads down long through the strike? Um, yeah, I think, and, and again, if you look at, if you look at when I talk about the goal swing, I talk about it trying to create simplicity for the, the golfer to realize what we're talking about here. You know, if we go too much in, in depth in muscle structure and everything, what I always say to players is, right, think of the, think of the golf swing as a car, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you want to win every race, what do you want your engine to be? You want it to be the most efficient, never break down and have the most power, don't you? <laughs> right. That's what you want your engine to be, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yep. we want the best engine. We want the best steering so you know exactly where it's going to go. And we want the best fuel and the driver. But let's assume that we had all those four things. Why do we not win? Why do we not win the race? Purely and simply because the transmission doesn't transfer the energy to the steering well enough in that engine. So it's the transmission that is not actually working properly. So mm-hmm. unless I sort the transmission out, it doesn't matter how good the engine is, it doesn't matter how good the steering is or how good the driver of the fuel. If I don't sort the transition out, then of the transmission out, then I can't win the races. Once I've sorted the transmission out, fine, I'm going to probably win every race, but I need yeah. to sort that. So then the golf swing becomes, right, what, what do you want your body to do in the golf swing? Never miss a beat and create as much power as you can and do the right. same thing time and time and time again, yeah? Yep. So your yep. body's the engine. Yep. Your, arm, your arm hand and club movement are the steering. Mm-hmm. And they should know where you've got to go to hit whatever shot. And your brain's the fuel and the drive. Mm. So all of a sudden, I've got all those, and they're all great, but I'm hitting the ball all over the place. Why? Because the linkage or the transmission 
from the engine to the steering is no good. So what is the transmission? What is the linkage? And Ledbetter almost did it years ago when he got the towel drill under his arms and tied his arm swing up to his body with with Faldo, but no power. Yeah. But very straight. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what what we're now doing, what we're seeing is that we're seeing that great body action. We're seeing where we know where the arm hand club movement, but what transfers the energy to the actual steering? And what transfers that all that power? Well, in putting the towel drill under your arm, you're actually stopping, you're stopping the transmission of the power going to the steering. Mm-hmm. You just you're just locking it in. So what is what I always ask like what is the transmission in the golf swing? What is the linkage? What transfers the energy from the body to the arm hand and club movement? The shoulder movement. The shoulder. Yeah. The chest so, shoulder right here. Yeah. The shoulder well, the, the actual rotator cuff, the yeah. lats, and mm. you know, the, the triceps. You know, if you get your lead shoulder and your lead arm loading correctly and unloading correctly, both shoulders, then all of a sudden you're going to add power. You don't get a boxer that box without loading his shoulders. <laughs> he loads his shoulders to deliver the blow from the body movement. Mm-hmm. So all mm-hmm. of a sudden. You've got to load your shoulders relative to the shot you want to play. So when I ask players, can you load your shoulders for a fade for me? Can you load your shoulders for a draw for me? Because it's what's going to transfer the energy from the, from the actual engine to the steering. So I want to know that the transmission is transferring the energy correctly to the proper steering movement. Hmm. So do we, do we all know how to actually load the shoulders for a fade or load the shoulders for a draw. Well, well let's hey, show it. Can you? Is there? Can you show me that? That load it for a fade versus a draw. Yeah. Well, if you go back, if you go back and sit your shoulders down, sit your yeah. shoulders down, and boom, my shoulders under my chest, then I'm forcing my arms in and the club out, so I get the actual draw motion without chasing the line. Now, if I get my shoulders up and move my arms down. So I'm creating a slightly out-to-end path with loaded shoulders one way or the other that I can match to the body movement. Mm-hmm. But I'm now loading the shoulders. I'm not relying on the shoulders being locked in. PXG has done it again with the launch of a new lineup of drivers, fairways, hybrids, and irons. The new Gen 5 golf clubs deliver significantly increased MOI, faster ball speeds, longer distances, and tighter dispersions, all coupled with the exceptional feel and sound golfers have come to expect from PXG. Schedule your custom fitting or buy online at pxg.com. Interesting. That's the simplistic view of it. So if your lead shoulder, if your lead shoulder is doing the right thing, lead shoulder, left arm for the right-handed player, right-handed for the left-handed player. Load your shoulder and release that one way or the other, your shoulder muscle structure, then all of a sudden your path matches what you intend to do. Mm-hmm. Right, so well, there's only one common denominator I've seen between all great players when they play well. All great players have one common denominator, and I've not seen any more than one common denominator between them all, and that is that they all get it in the correct delivery position relative to the shot they're actually trying to play. Yeah. It impacts too late, far too late. Right. They're in the correct delivery. So when they're playing at their best, 
the best players get the club in the correct delivery relative to the shot they're trying to play. Draw, mm-hmm. draw delivery, fair delivery, straight delivery, low shot, high shot, whatever. Yeah. So they're actually in position way before impact. Mm-hmm. And right, even deliver, in, in delivery in some cases is too late. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's keep this fade draw conversation going here. And, and here's a player that you, how long you've been, how long you've been working with Brooks Kapka, Pete? Uh, since 14, 2014, eight years. Did it start short game and yeah. then evolve into the full swing? Is that how uh, it's it- evolved? But I mean, he's, he's always had a great golf swing. Mm-hmm. It's all, and I've, and I just helped him with, I mean, you know, it's a famous story that I helped him with his short game because Ricky Elliott, who caddies for him, said, you need to see Pete because short game's not good enough. And he said it was good enough. And I, I took him down to the range at uh, Wentworth for the PGA Championship and said, right, hit me, high soft bunker shot that's, you know, one bounce check releases into the hole. And he, he hit two shots and they were, they were rubbish, to be fair. <laughs> they were they were duff and runs, and I said no 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 that that's not the shot I want you to play. I said play me the high soft bunker shot that at one bounce check and releases into the hole, and he did it again. He didn't didn't very well. So he said oh well if you're so clever you show me. So at first shot, high high soft one bounce check releases goes in the hole. He said but that's a fluke. So I said well give me another ball. So I, again same shot again one bounce check release and it lipped out. So he said, well, I think I'd better listen. And I said, yeah, I think you probably should. And then we we went on to the chipping and, you know, hitting spinners, release shots. Because I find with most players, if they come to you and they say, and not just the top players, but, the, you know, the, the, the normal guys that are playing golf just for a bit of fun. Oh, it's checked on me when I didn't want it to check. It's released on me when I didn't want it to release. I said, well, the ball can't do that by itself. You must have done that, you know, and you obviously didn't know you were doing it. So you've got to, to be a great chipper, a great pitcher, you've got to be able to release it properly and check it properly. It's a simple equation, but you've got to know how to do it properly. Before I get to Brooks, let me ask you this, because you work with a lot of players. I mean, your list is long over the years. How often, let's say every week, every week, do you have to look at a player, whether it's in person or over the phone, text, whatever? And say, come on, just you know, quit complaining. Let's step it up and let's let's move it forward. Like you have to have the the difficult conversation with them, where it's you know, there's times to step in and encourage and say, hey, here's what we're doing, and sell and this and that. But then there's times to put your foot down, right, Pete, as coach, and say, come on, just you know, buck up a little bit and let's get it done. How often does that have to happen per week? Uh, a lot. I, well, I've talked more people down off the ledge that wins tournaments than ever giving them good golf lessons. Okay. That's for sure. So, I mean, I've done it, did it with, uh, Darren Clark, 2011, Henrik, 2016. Uh, I've done it so many times with players that, you know, they, they suddenly have to realize that they have to, you know, shake themselves down and get on with it and do the right thing. But it's attitude without the great attitude, doesn't matter how good the golf swing is. No chance. No chance. And golf can beat you down, right? I mean, you know that. I mean, it can, it can beat you down. You can lose your confidence like that. You can lose your swing. I was talking on podcast earlier this week about Harris English. I mean, you know, Harris kind of rebuilt his swing with um, 
JP Parsons and off they went great success. And now all of a sudden, I mean, Harris's swing is, you know, and I know he's had some injuries, but he's having a hard time, you know, putting it back together and just, you know, little subtle things can, can derail you so quickly. And all of a sudden you're like, you know, where am I Ricky Fowler? Right. And, and where he is right now, I mean, it's just all of a sudden it's like, am I ever going to get it back to that level that I once had? And, and uh, I'm sure those conversations can be emotional at times when you're, when you're talking with players. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, you know, with Brooks just before he won in Erin Hills, I had to have a real strong conversation with Brooks on the Tuesday of that week, uh, saying that his attitude stunk and he was, you know, you know, never going to win anything, you know, with that sort of attitude and really sat him down and said, you know, you need to get on with it. You need to say, right, I'm going to have the attitude of a champion. Otherwise, you're not going to win anything. And he said, right, I'm going to accept your challenge. I'm going to have the best attitude I can this week. And, you know, obviously he won and he was, he was, uh, and it's, it's happened again a couple of times, you know, hang on, you know, you've got to actually start thinking about what, what sort of attitude you want, attitude which, and I know for a fact, because when I was playing, I had the worst attitude ever. Mm. There's no doubt about that. So when somebody says to me, why, why do you think you made a good coach? And I said, well, I think I made a good coach because I knew why I failed when I should have succeeded. I knew why I failed, and I failed because of my attitude. My attitude was horrendous. I mean, I won when I won in Africa in 1976, very early on in my career, I, I snapped three clubs in the last round and still won. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's how pathetic I was as a player. You ever run that hot still? Uh, not anymore. No, okay. I can't be, I can't, can't raise the energy to do that. anymore. <laughs> one, of the, one of your employees there in the Academy kind of irk you the wrong way. Get your ass over here. I got something I want to tell yeah. you. And uh, I mean, I could tell you a few stories on, on that okay. one. Right? All right. All right. Yeah. Well, I know. Yeah, I know. But you know, that's where we met. See, I know all about running academies. We met at TPC Sawgrass years ago when I was running that Academy and you start getting into that, um, you know, multiple teachers and, uh, yeah, you're, 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 um, your chili can get running hot from time to time <laughs> with when you start dealing with employees. But anyway, let's get back on track here. I got to ask you this question. All right. Brooks Kepka, give yeah. us the insight. What's this, what's this guy like? Give us what, what's Brooks like as the person? Is he this, you know, cause, cause well, on the outside, well, I'll just let you answer. Uh, I think with Brooks, what you've got to look at is almost what you get. You know, he is that sort of character. He, he, he really doesn't suffer fools. He wants to know the truth. He doesn't want any stroking of his ego. He wants to know if it's, if it's no good. He wants to know it's no good, and he wants to know how to get it right. And, I mean, the only thing that's stopping Brooks at the moment is probably the injuries more than anything else. Mm-hmm. He's had so many injuries. If you look at the list of injuries, and there is on YouTube, there's a list of his injuries over the last, well, since he won his last major, which is, you know, it's very difficult to get over injuries because the lead leg, the lead knee, the lead, you know, hip, it's, it creates a problem. And then if you can't actually fire correctly, then obviously you're going to manipulate with the hands and that's by definition is inconsistent. So I think with Brooks, it's exactly what you get. He wants to know the truth. He wants to, you know, he wants you to actually be totally honest with him. Uh, he's not frightened of saying to you, you're not doing your job right and get it done if he you know, feels that you're not doing it right. 
and that's what you've got to be totally professional in everything mm-hmm. you do. But he's had a golf swing that's really technically everybody would say it's different, but it technically it's so sound because uh, on the backswing he drags his hands in. But mm-hmm. we're using the body. If he uses his body there, drags his hands in, the club face looks to everybody as though it's actually slightly strong to close, but it isn't. It's on the arc. And then what he does from here is he throws his shoulders, he loads his shoulders up. If you watch the club going up from here, he loads his shoulders up. Yeah, here it comes. To, to position on the backswing, and he yep. lo- he's loaded his shoulders. And then what he does on the downswing, he locks his shoulders in relative to the shot. So as he's from here, he's throwing his shoulders up and loads his shoulder there to the top. Now he can decide how he's going to lock the shoulders down. So if he's going to draw it, he's going to lock those shoulder muscles, both shoulder muscles down early. So his delivery position is a little bit from the inside. Mm-hmm. And then he then he can keep turning to stabilize the impact conditions, mm-hmm. or he's going to lock the shoulders across to his left where the lead shut arm and the club get a little bit more out to give him the delivery position that allows him to pat left, which right. is where he's played. So he locks his his movement is he locks his shoulders down in the change of direction. So he's doing it much earlier than everybody else. And of course, if he's doing that, he's got to be able to turn through the impact area to stabilize the impact condition. And if you see on the way down how much room he's got under his chest for his arms to come under, you can see how much ground force he's got in his lower body and the change of direction and how much room his arms have got to swing under his chest on the way down. Mm -hmm. So as he's now locking down, his lower body locks down. Now his arms swing under his chest Mm -hmm. to the finish. Ask you this, Pete. When I when I look at Brooks, um, and in today's modern game, um, one of the things you know, there's always kind of these, there's always buzz, right? In instruction, yeah. and this and that, and things get popular through marketing and magazines and things like that. One of the things that has become, I think, more mainstream in today's, I'll just say, modern teaching, yeah. um, is change of knee flex. And you yeah. go back to the classical swing with Sam Sneed and this change of knee flex in the backswing. You saw it with Hen- Henrik. Henrik would give a little yeah. in the right knee going back. When you work with a player like Brooks, whose right knee really doesn't move much, doesn't change knee flex much. How do you look at that with Brooks and his right knee? Is that something you're, you're not going to probably go there and change that, but is it something that you have to be aware of and work uh, well, around per se? You do because, you know, that if you actually look at where he drags it to on the backswing uh, to nine o'clock, you wouldn't want a lot of movement in that right hip and that right knee because then it wouldn't allow the shoulders to load up as well as they could do to get the position at the top, which is fairly classical if you look at that position. You know, men have said, well, it's a strong left hand, you know, the left left and the buzzword at the moment is you know the strong left hand the the, the lofted face sitting a long way but that doesn't worry me what worries me is the lack of face stability in the golf swing Mm. which i know from a fact that when i ask an awful lot of players right how do you stabilize the club face throughout the golf swing and they said well i just you know try and keep it online as long as possible i said well that's manipulation Mm -hmm. so 
again, I'm asking again, I'm asking the client, the player, right? If I've got a stable face and I hit the ball out of the middle, what's the only thing I need to worry about? The path. The path. The path. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Let's stabilize the face. How do you stabilize the face in a in a golf swing? Think about it like putting, Travis. Mm-hmm. If I have equal and opposite in the hands and I push the same amount of pressure left as right and keep the hands stable, what happens to the putting stroke? You don't get any face rotation, do you? Right. If I keep if if it's equal between my hands. Equal. Yeah. If the pressure's right. equal, yeah. Right. The pressure's right. equal. Yep. So now what I've got to do is create that in the dimensions of the golf swing. Mm. Around and up, down and around. So how mm-hmm. do I do that? Glenn Fittich, the world's most awarded single malt scotch whiskey, is expertly crafted and made with extraordinary care. Each single malt is a work of perfection. Keep it equal. Equal, equal and opposite, yeah. but with the spinning fingers. Right, you have to put, you have the way you apply pressure, right? Yeah, yeah. my fingers finger spin in yep. opposition. Yep. If my fingers spin in opposition and I shove the club towards you, the mm-hmm. club head never changes. Right. So as I'm going back, I'm spinning my fingers in opposition yep. as we're going back and they're yep. loading. The face yep. is always stable. Right. If I keep the pressure equal. Yeah. So if I could have the strongest left hand and the strongest right hand and hit it dead straight, if I spin my fingers in opposition, because I'm not closing the face or opening it. Right. So you can have whatever grip you want, provided they're working in opposition. You could mm-hmm. have the weakest left hand and the weakest right hand, provided they're working in opposition back. Yes, you might hit a softer, higher shot, but it would still be straight. Mm. Yep. So when I ask players, how do you stabilize the face in your golf swing? Most players, I would say in the 95, 96% have no idea. (laughs) No idea. Yeah. They're just, they're just so damn good. They just know how to do it. Right. Well, they're they're brilliant manipulators. Yeah. That's what they are. Yeah. I think 95, 90, more than 95% of players on the U S tour are manipulators. Hmm. And Tiger at his best was a great the greatest manipulator plus he had good good mechanics. Yeah. So with these guys, if they get slightly better mechanics and they maintain their brilliant hand eye coordination, then to me, they are gonna be up there week in, week out. And that's why we look at somebody and we say, well, why are they not winning more often? Why do they only win once a year or twice a year? Well, when you've got somebody like Tiger winning, you know, seven, eight times a year you suddenly realize that he is the best manipulator, but he's also great mechanics. Yeah. Well, and, and, and someone whose swing changed, right. A, a decent amount with tiger. I mean, talk about tiger for a second. Yeah. I would say tiger. He tried is, to get better. He tried to get better. He wanted to get better. He right. thought he could get better. And, you know, then he's he all of a sudden, when you try and get better, sometimes you take a few steps backwards. Of course you do. You like that stronger face in general, Pete, like with Brooks here? You like that stronger face? I do. Yeah. Uh, because it keeps more it keeps more pressure. If you look at him, his shaft pressure through impact yeah. really controls his ball flight. Yeah. That's why if you look at Henrik, Henrik's shaft pressure is aligned straight up. So that's why he hits a very high ball flight. Mm-hmm. 
And that's why, he's always, that's why he's always able to st- land his three iron and his four iron on the hardest greens and stop them, Henry. But it's also why he's been a little bit, struggles a little bit in, in the strong winds. Because of the face. Because he hits it with shaft alignment. He doesn't get the shaft pressure on it, Henry. Henry's shaft pressure hits the ball up. Brooks's right. shaft pressure kick knocks the ball down. Right, and a lot of that with Henrik, as we go back to him, is because of the face, right? I mean, it's not... Yeah, yeah, it's not as yeah. strong. Yeah. Not strong. Yeah. See, that's interesting. You never, you kept the face and worked with it with Henrik for many, many years, right? Because Yeah, but because it was the ball flight we wanted to get, you okay. know, when we played, when he started playing America, we wanted to stop it on the firmest, you know, hardest greens. Gotcha. Which, which, which you know, was the key. I mean, if you wanted to hit the ball low, then we could have kept more shaft pressure, but that, that in itself creates problems with mm-hmm. the technique. Mm-hmm. And Whereas a lot Brooks, of Brooks has always had that strong face and his strong pressure shaft through impact. Let me ask you this, and I don't know the answer to this. Um, so I'm curious to, cause I don't think I've ever heard you answer this question or state this, but with Brooks, when you started with him in the short game, some of the struggles or not struggles, let's just say opportunities that you had with Brooks, did a lot of that stem around that strong face because of the use of the shaft lean and the strong face and he couldn't hit certain shots around the green as well? Absolutely. Okay. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. And then when all of a sudden he got face control, he could do what he wants. Mm-hmm. And you, you see like Victor Hovland going through that right now too. Yeah. I mean, Victor asked me to have a look at him three years ago at uh, Honda. I just spent 10 or 15, well, I think probably half an hour with him looking at his bunker shots. And But then COVID came the week after uh, the players. And I never got a chance to help him out after that. And Jeff Smith's done a great job with him in any case. So, you know, but he still struggles a little bit in the bunkers uh, because of the, you know, he doesn't actually understand the the face control and how you pressurize the sand properly. Um, I learn more out of the golf swing through in bunkers than I ever do in hitting golf balls. Wow. That's, that's... I've got to apply, Chef, I've got to apply sand pressure to the ball to get the ball working correctly relatively <laughs> and i hit i can hit every bunker shot going with a square face mm-hmm. i don't you, have to open it right would you say in general in modern teaching the face is not as open in the bunker now um yeah i would say so um, yeah. because you can if you release the bounce properly and most people don't still don't know how to release the bounce right. properly uh, if you release the bounce properly then you should be able to you know hit you know a 53 and play every shot that needs to be and i i, I use 53 most of the time and play every shot that's required out of monk I, I can spin it out of a plug lie with a 53 so i know I, you know it's it's one of those things but that's why you learn so much how do you, you know, everybody says, well, how do you actually spin it out of a, a plug lie in a bunker? And I says, well, you have to work at it and you have to hit hundreds and hundreds of hours, trial and error, and then eventually you'll find it. But it takes that sort of discipline to do that. And that's why, you know, I spend so much time on short game and I, I understand more of how you apply pressure to the ball correctly relative to the bounce, the loft, the shaft pressure, and then you can get so much more out of your short game. How much, how much of 3D technology has been a part of you and your academy? Is that something that has been of interest to you and you've learned from? Well, uh, funny enough, so you said that. We, I had 
the best biomechanist who I thought was the best biomechanist by far 20, probably 20 years ago, Ryan Lumsden. He's in Australia now. He's still about. He still helps the Japanese players. Ryan Lumsden worked with a guy called Ramsey McMaster, who was who did a lot with me. Ramsey's been dead 11 years now, unfortunately. And my, my coaching became a lot better when I understood, started understanding the physiology of the body mm-hmm. and how the body worked relative. So, yes, 3D. And we used to, when we did the seminars, me, Ramsey, was a, was a physio, but he was also, a, a, you know, a trainer as well. And Ryan was the biomechanist. Mm-hmm. And we all fitted together, and I went on the range, and I said, "Well, this is what I found this kid." And uh, Ramsey would say, "Well, this is what I found out with him physically." And then Ryan would say, "Well, biomechanically, he can do this, he can do that, but he can't do that." So we really we did that twenty odd years ago, at least. Yeah, for the players, and so it's not it's nothing new to us, but th- they could tell they can obviously do it a lot better now. But they could tell you what was happening in the golf swing, but they couldn't really tell you how it was happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what what is actually so some right. I always say something's got to move something else. So which sequence is it and how is it moved and why is it moving and what is moving it? So what's moving what? So like people talk about the ground force reaction, yeah, but how do I get ground force reaction? Yeah. How do I get it? How do yeah. I get it correctly? Right, right. Not just shift weight to get ground force reaction. How do I get it correctly so that the actual body can work in its most efficient way through the impact? Because if the body stalls through impact, the arms and the club will work independently of that. Yeah. So the better the inside works, the better the outside works. We know that. It's for sure. And we've been saying that for years. And that's why we said, if it spirals up and spirals down, then obviously the body is always turning through the impact area to stabilize whatever impact conditions you want. Yeah. It's interesting. Like with Brooks too, and I'll finish with this is like, he's had that, like, I love his club face position the shaft coming down, all these things. Um, His right knee's always been very interesting to me. And it's always been interesting to me, like with that strong face, obviously he stabilizes at impact, but he does kind of chase it a little down the line. Like the face exits, maybe a touch high at times, you know, yeah. but you know, yeah. he's not, he's not like Stenson who to me is like the ultimate chest rotator club in front of him, smashing it, head swiveling, you know, yeah. like, like, like Stenson just ripping open where Brooks kind of, you know, he well, kind of hangs there a little bit. Let's yeah, Brooks, Brooks uses a bit more leverage through the impact area than him. Right, yeah. Right. He's lever, he's left side lever. And that's why you see that slight chase. Yeah. Well, Pete, I could, uh, I could, I could talk forever, um, you know, about these swings. Really, it's just fascinating stuff to, to hear you not only talk about your players, but just in general, like, you know, instruction. Um, like if you had to, if we had to finish with this, you know, looking at Brooks here, he finished 11th at the tournament Bedminster, um, and a nice round there. Hey, yeah, finished 11th and yeah, finished 11th. Yeah, he shot 66 last round. 66, yeah. the final round that had to, that had to feel yeah. good. I mean, I, you think, you think there's going to be after the tour champ, you know, we've got three, four more weeks, more players are going to make the jump. Uh, I think you're bound to see that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you're bound to see it. 
Yeah. Uh, it's what they're talking about. The players are all talking and, they, you know, obviously Bubba Watson's decided to go. Bubba's gone. So, yeah, he, he, I think they'll, more more will decide to go because, again, it's it's the circus that's paying the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, isn't it? So, you know, whatever you say, whatever, and, and they are enjoying, they're enjoying it and they like, they like, at the moment, it's a little bit of a novelty in that, oh, we're, we're a team, we're a team. Yeah. And I said to Brooks, I'm not bothered about the team. I want you to win every tournament. <laughs> I think that's... I'm not bothered about the team. I want you to win every tournament. That's why we, I started golf to try and help players to win tournaments. Yeah. That's, you know, that's what I started, you know, and helped them to win tournaments and to help them win big tournaments. So I wanted them to beat. And the difficulty was one year, I mean, in 2010, I had first, second and third at the Open at St. Andrews, Louis... Westwood and uh, and then Stenson finished third. Oh, wow. So I've got one guy that's elated, and I've got two guys that is absolutely gutted. So you can never really enjoy, you know, the actual moment that you know somebody actually achieves. And I always say the thing is, the climb to the top of the Everest, to the top of Everest, is much better than when you get up there. Mm. Because once you get up there, you think, well, is this what it's all 